Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series on the book of Ruth. For more information about CBC, or how to get plugged in, or to listen to another sermon, visit us on the website, cbcsavannah.com. Jesus, you, we acknowledge, are the chief cornerstone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. And so we want to be built upon you. We want to be built on the rock of our salvation. Um, we do so as we gather. We do so through your, through your word. And so as we come to your word right now, I just ask for strength and I ask for clarity and I ask for really for the spirit to move and do something I can't do, and that is change hearts, change minds, uh, bring about uh, just Christ-likeness. Um, we pray for our team in, in Nagarote, uh, just for strength as they finish well, as they've been teaching and training, and just loving and serving. Uh, just pray that not only would the folks down there just feel your hands and your impact, but also our own who went. Uh, we pray for our country, Lord, and the world, which is a mess and we are commanded by Scripture to pray for kings and those in authority, uh, even though they don't acknowledge you, Lord, that they would make decisions that honor you. And, and so, Lord, that you would be directing uh, our leaders. We may or may not agree with them, um, but yet you have ordained them to be in charge right now, and we are to be uh, praying and, and trying to just move their hearts through prayer and that you would just kind of direct them, that they would make decisions that would honor you, Lord, and that, that even if they don't, the church, churches like ours, across the, the country and the world, just would make a difference, that we would be light, that we would shine better in darkness. And so, and that happens again as we strengthen each other, as we build each other, as we uh, follow Christ. And so I just pray again for this time in your word. As we close out this little series on Ruth, just use it in our lives. Help me who I'm just weak and, and incapable of doing anything apart from you, that you would just help me to one more time teach clearly your word. And I pray it in Christ's name, amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Turn, if you have your Bible, to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. Five weeks ago, we started this little, this story. It's been called The Perfect Story. Um, and I'll be honest, I, this has been a fun series for me. Um, I've enjoyed myself. Maybe some of you thought it was just too much coffee, but I really have I enjoyed uh, working through this, this text, having a lot of fun with it. I haven't said anything off the cuff to get myself fired yet, which has been good. It's been close a couple times. Um, but what, what my goal is, as we work through books like this, I want you to enjoy the scriptures. I want you to come and see that this is real people, that this is re really God working, that these are real issues dealing with real life, that God is, has done something and, and is doing something. Because oftentimes people come to church and, you know, they come, well, this is the word of God. And, you know, they, they treat it as it's some rote, wooden, just kind of book. And, and it, we, we kind of, as Christians do this all the time, we, we see, well, it's kind of, the Bible's kind of like vegetables, right? They're good for you, but they don't taste good, Right? And, and it's like, yeah, we just got to get through the vegetable part so we can get to the dessert, right? That's the mentality. 
And, and certainly there are things in Scripture that are harder and are difficult. But the psalmist says that the law of the Lord is perfect, right? And that it revives the soul, that the precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. Revive, rejoice. Does that sound like vegetables? Not to me, because I don't like vegetables. All right. Uh, that the testimonies of the Lord are sure, making wise and simple. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. And they close us and say that they're more desirable than gold and fine gold. They're sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. I want you guys to feel that as we work through these. So yeah, I'm gonna bounce around a little bit. That's a little ADD, that's a little PE teacher. But really what that is, is I want you to see that this is real stuff. And we wanna speak of real stuff like it's real. Instead of, we speak of a lot of stuff that's not real, really stuff that doesn't last. It's like the biggest thing, oh, we made the huge putt. Who cares? Next week, no one cares. But this is real. So I'm gonna get a little energetic. I'm gonna bounce around. And if you don't like it, you can go somewhere where they stand still like this and you can have fun because that ain't me. All right, so that's what we've been doing. And, and my goal is just as always to present this in a way that is understandable, that is applicable because all scripture is inspired. It is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, that you may be adequate. So I want it to be applicable. And honestly, I'm not ashamed. I want it to be fun for us. I want it to be enjoyable because when they listen to Jesus teach, and I'm not even close, I'm not saying I am, but it says that they, li they enjoyed listening to Jesus. Jesus didn't bore them with scripture. And one of my professors, Howard Hendricks, used to say, it is a sin for you guys to bore people with the Bible. I'm like, yeah, that's right, because I'm bored right now in class. <laughs> so so I, I do my best to not bore you with Scripture because God is not boring, all right? He's not boring. And so we've been working through Ruth. We've been having some fun. And what I told you up front is this is a story about one word, about hesed, about God's loyal, faithful stubborn love towards his people, right? And, and it began with brokenness, right? We saw two folks. We saw Elimelech, whose name means my God is king. We saw Naomi, whose name means cutie pie or sweetie pie or pleasant. And it's a seemingly perfect family and everything's all together, but then tragedy hits. They're, they live in Bethlehem, the land of bread, but there is no bread in the land of bread. So they go to the land of Moab, which means what? which is the only thing you're gonna remember from this entire series. So they go down to the land of who's your daddy and, and tragedy, Elimelech dies. He, he leaves to save his life and he loses his life. And not just him, the children, sick and frail, they die. And so here's Naomi who went down full with hopes and dreams and she comes back to the land of bread empty. And in her mind, God is against her because God has caused all this calamity, all this tragedy, and that's where she's at. And she's now Mrs. Bitterworth and not pleasant. And so she back, and what we see is, it feels like God has is, is not been faithful, but what we've seen in the last couple chapters is, no, but God has been faithful because you have this girl, Ruth. And so she just so happens to go out to the right field and meet Sean Connery, all right, who treats her kindly and he protects her and he pursues her and he provides for her. And, and the whole season, he, she works in his field. And at the end, at the big party, the big harvest, she runs in when he falls asleep. She takes his sleeping bag off his feet and she says, marry me. And he says, okay. Except there's one problem. They got this guy, Mr. So-and-so. 
He, he's actually a little bit closer in this whole idea of marriage. He has the first right to marry you. So we're gonna go see if Mr. So-and-so will marry you. And if Mr. So-and-so doesn't wanna marry you, then I'll marry you. And sure enough, Mr. So-and-so doesn't want to marry Ruth. So here we are, Boaz and, and Ruth. Last week you ended, right? She's got a big old rock on her finger. He checked out the four C's, right? They're registered at Bed, Bethlehem and beyond and they're ready to go, okay? And so today we pick up and we have wedding bells. We got cake, right? So let's pick up. And really here, here's where we're gonna go today. We're gonna finish the story, the story about God's Hesed. And what really we're gonna see as this story concludes is that there's something bigger going on here than just two widows. There's something bigger going on than a sweet lady meeting a sweet guy and them getting married. That, that God is actually doing something beyond just these four chapters. And he's actually not just showing them Hesed, he is actually showing everyone in this room Hesed because of this story. And so that's what we're gonna see as we go today. All right, Ruth chapter four, 13 to 22. I know some of you pagans read ahead and you know what happens anyway, but we're gonna work through it anyway, right? You cheated, but that's all right. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord, this Yahweh is the Hebrew word, gave her conception and she bore a son. They get married. They go on a honeymoon to the Dead Sea. They come back. Guess who's wearing the pregnancy pants, the little stretchy pants, who's waking Boaz up at 11 at night for pork rinds and strawberry ice cream? Ruth, right? And it notices, some of you are just getting that now. That's all right. Notice it is the Lord who gives her conception. The text is, goes out of its way that says God did this. And this is significant because we know that Ruth was married for 10 years before to Malon and had zero kids. She was barren for 10 years. Very unusual. Now Yahweh gives her a son. And what you see is a complete reversal of chapter one. In chapter one, she is a foreigner, she is a widow, she is childless. Now she is part of the people of God. She has a husband, she has a son. And so as she has a son, the women of the town, these women are interesting now, they're always talking. At the end of chapter one, they're talking. Is this Naomi? She looks horrible. Remember her? She looks bad now. They, talk, they start in chapter one, now they speak again. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. They start off, is this Naomi? Now they're like, Naomi, you don't need to be Mrs. Bitterworth anymore. You don't need to be complaining anymore. You can bless Yahweh. Why? Because he hasn't left you without a redeemer. He's, he's, he's redeemed you. And may this redeemer, may he be famous, may he be renowned, may people talk about him, may he go down in the annals of, of Israel history as someone great. And the question you gotta ask is, who's he talking about? Talking about Boaz? It's not Boaz. Boaz redeemed Ruth, but that's not who they're talking about in 4.14. The next verse shows that they are, they are talking about this little baby, this little guy they're gonna call Obed, verse 15. He shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. The redeemer is this little boy and he is going to be a restorer to her. Why? Because her, her clan was about to be gone, extinct. That family was gonna be erased from Israel's history and now it's back. 
She is going to be nourished in her old age. Instead of being the grumpy old lady, sitting on the porch, complaining about the heat, yelling at the kids for playing in the yard, she's now that sweet grandma who lets the kids stay up way too late and feeds them cookies when mom says no. She's, she's, she's nourished in her old age now. She's cheered up. Why? Because of precious Ruth. Her daughter-in-law who loved you and who is more to you than seven sons. This is a, a very Hebrewism phrase. It's, it's like Ruth is better to you than the perfect family. Seven boys is the perfect family in the Hebrew mind. And he said, Ruth, this, this Moabite girl who loved you, who stuck by you when you had no hope, she is better to you than the cleavers, than Ozzie and Harriet, than the Brady Bunch, whatever your, you know, your age, you know, your full house for some of you, whatever. The perfect family, Ruth is better because she has given birth to this redeemer. She has shown you Hesed. And so the final picture of the narrative is they take, Naomi takes the child later on her lap and she became her nurse. She becomes the nanny for this little baby. And so the final picture you have is, is sweet Naomi giggling and rubbing her nose and pinching fat thighs and baby drooling and giggling and slobbering and just laughing like a grandma does. And with her finally just kind of rocking the baby on the front porch to sleep. It's this final picture of she was empty, but now she is full. She is full. And then verse 17, these ladies speak up again. I love these ladies. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name. They're like, you're not naming this kid. We got this. No Boaz Jr., all right, we, we got this name deal. And so they name him Obed, which means worshiper or servant. But here's where the twist of the story comes in. All right, Here, here's where the, the kind of at the end, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. All this time you've been thinking, the author's been trying to get you to think that this is a story about Ruth, right? She's kind of been the focal point. It's been about Ruth. It's been about Boaz. It's down at the, the threshing floor. It's her going out in the field. But look at it says, they say a son has been born to who? Naomi. Wait a minute. Ruth's like, hey, that was my labor. I did that 13 hours. That's not no Naomi's baby. But what, this, what the author is showing is this has not been a story about Ruth at all. This has been a story about who? Naomi. The, the name of the book is wrong. We should change it. You can cross it out in your Bible. This is ultimately a story about Naomi. It is ultimately a story of how she went out empty. Now she is full. It's a story of how God has shown his faithfulness to Naomi. Now Ruth's a part of that. And Boaz is a part of that. And Obed's a part. But this is ultimately about her. It's about her. Right? She went out empty. Now she's back. And can you think she could have imagined this 12 months earlier? When the... Dirt on her husband's, I mean, husband's grave and her son's grave is still fresh. As she looks to her right and left, and not only is she a widow, but this young gal and this young gal are widows. And she goes back and she's saying things like, God has done this. God has brought calamity. God has made me bitter. Do you think that she'd be sitting in the rocking chair a year later, rocking that little baby to sleep? She can't have fathomed it. That's why I told you in the beginning, it's a story how God has been faithful to his people, to his people. And, and, and that's really where the story ends. But here, here's the big question we gotta ask. And, and we wanna be honest with the text because it's, it's super easy for us as Christians to be, have a superficial glance and be like, yeah, isn't that great? Everything happ happily ever after, right? Here, here's the question we gotta ask. 
as special as Obed is and precious as that little baby is and all that he means to her, does that make up for the loss of a husband and two sons? I mean, is she she like, yeah, my husband's gone, my boys are gone, but look, I have a grandbaby. Everything's fine now. Does that make up for that kind of loss? See, we have a tendency in the church to be super shallow and say, yeah, just trust God. Everything will happen great in the end and and God is good all the time. When we come to the text and, and have that kind of superficial idea, that does nothing for people who are really struggling right now. It just doesn't. Just trust God. He works all things together for good for those who love him. True. But when we don't really, we're not honest with the text, it does nothing for people who are struggling right now. Right? Right now. Right? Because she, just because she has a grandbaby, that doesn't wipe out her past. Right? Obed doesn't just make all the pain non-existent. She lost a husband. I mean, this is the, the man she was supposed to spend the rest of her life with. I am sure there was times at night she woke up and she missed a limelech. I'm sure there's times she's playing with that little Obed and, and he smiles or does something that reminds her of, of Malon. And she just misses her boy, right? That, that's real. Her loss was real. And that experience was real. And, and, and Obed doesn't just erase it. And, it, and he shouldn't. So say, what, what role does Obed have then? Here's what Obed is for her. It is a signpost. It is a reminder. It is a, a light in darkness that God is still there. That he is still still has a hope, then he still has a future for Naomi. A few months ago, I was driving to Rome, the real Rome, Rome, Georgia. (laughs) And it was dark and it was pouring rain and it was like this country road that had no lines. And, you know, the the road is wet and it's reflecting up. And I was, I mean, I'm, you know, a pretty confident driver. I was scared. I had two hands on the wheel. I'm like looking out the front here. I'm just straining to see. I'm going 20 miles an hour because I'm thinking I'm going to run off the road. I can't see anything. And then finally I come to a stretch of the road where there's those little reflectors. No lines, but those little reflectors just kind of marked the way. And I was like, finally, I can see where I am going. Obed is like one of those little reflectors. It's been dark. It's been scary. She has no clue where she's going. All of a sudden, boom, he's there and there's some direction and she can see, I know where to go. I know there's a future. I know there's a hope. I know that even though I mean, this world is excessively broken, it is wrecked with sin, that God is doing something. He has a plan for me. He still loves me. And it's just a glimpse of the future. That's Obed. Doesn't magically erase the pain. Doesn't make everything happy, happy, happy. There's brokenness, but there's hope in that brokenness. And here's why that's big for us to grasp, y'all. Because some of you still have this Southern view of Christianity and it is a false Christianity. Right? It's a false religion. It's Baal worship at best. It's legalism. It's, it's probably yin and yang Buddhism is what it is. But you somehow have got it into your mind that if I am good, if I do the good things, if I'm the good person, and that means usually I go to church, and I pay my taxes. If I am good and, and plug in the formula 
then everything is gonna be all right, Bob Marley. My kids will turn out right if I just send them to camp and I send them to Christian school. And if I tithe, I'll never lose my job. And as long as I go to church, I'll never see that cancer. I'll never see that arthritis. We just have this weird false view that if I do this, God will do this. And the reason is because I deserve it. After all, I've been good. We're the good people. I mean, I, pay, I drove this morning. I saw people playing golf. Bad people, <laughs> right? Good people, bad people, right? You're just gonna go at one. That's the difference. See, and and that's, that's how we think sometimes. And you say, no, I don't, I don't think. You do, because then when, when the bad thing happens, you're like, I don't deserve this. See, it's Baal worship. If I do good, God does good. If I do bad, God does good. See, here's the problem with it. What happens if you're doing good and the bottom still falls out? Here's what happens. You turn into Mrs. Bitterworth because you don't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I read this great quote this week. Let me, I'll say it twice so you get it. If what you think you deserve is greater than what you have, that's where bitterness comes from. See, if what you think you deserve is greater than what you have, that's where bitterness comes from. If what you think you have is greater than what you deserve, that is where thankfulness comes from, right? If what you think you have is greater than what you deserve, that's where thankfulness. Naomi started the one side, now she's finally getting it. Does it make her all her pain go away? But she's at a place, look, God has been gracious to me and now she is thankful. Now she is able to worship. And it's not because God has been rewarding her for being good. Naomi has not really been good. She started accusing God. She started blaming God. She started not trusting in God. And what does God do? He acts despite her. That is the very nature of Hesed, y'all. It is unfailing, it is stubborn, and it is, it is not merited. It is not because you've been good, so God is being good. It is because he is good. This is what the New Testament calls grace. It is unearned, it is unmerited, you didn't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. That is what God does. He gives grace, right? Not based on your performance. If it's based on our performance, we're done for. You realize that? I mean, you are, we are desperately flawed. I am desperately flawed, but I am also desperately loved. That's grace. That is grace. And that's, that's where she is. And, and, and here's the reminder for us as we finish this story, that we as Christians are constantly going to be living with the tension of, of grief and hope at the same time. Okay, and it is a tension. She's got grief. I lost Malon and Kilion and I lost Elimelech. I have hope because I have Obed. And there is that constant tension. And let's be honest, I don't want this grief. I want this hope. I was thinking about this week, I don't want grief. I don't want to drop $1,000 on a transmission out of the blue. I don't want my kids getting in trouble at school. I don't want to find, I don't want conflict in my family. I don't want to even be with my family half the time, let alone conflict in my family, right? I don't want to go and, and, and see people that are sick and hurting because it hurts me. I, I want to avoid all those things. I don't like floods in West Virginia and fires in California and people getting murdered down here and blowing up. I don't like that. I don't want that. But yet that's part of living in a broken, sinful world. 
that there is that brokenness and there's grief and the tension for us is that we are to embrace the brokenness because we have hope. We know that God is still there. We know that he is still good. We know that he is still moving in depression and anxiety. And how do we know? How did Naomi know? She's got an Obed. How do we know? We have an Obed too. And he's in the story. He's in the rest of the story. So let's look at it real quick. Because this is where we go if we're gonna face the tension of grief and hope in the same. Here's our Obed. Second half of verse 17. The neighboring women again said, a son has been born in Naomi. They named him Obed. Key phrase here. He was the father of Jesse. The father of who? David. He's the father. Ruth is the great grandma of the greatest king Israel has had to this point. Not the greatest king ever because he's still to come. But the greatest king in Israel's history, she is the founder of a royal dynasty. Think about the irony. Her, her father-in-law's name was my God is king. My God is king dies. The story ends with the true king. It's a beautiful story. And, and, and here's how the, the author ends in a way that for us is like, oh, he ends with the genealogy. All right? And most of y'all, when you get to the genealogies, you're like, okay, let's get to the end. Because this, this may be inspired, but it's not, I don't care, right? So, so you got Perez, Father Hezron, Hezron, Ram, Ram, Abdimadab, Abdimadab, all these guys, right? All the way down to David. We're like, what a horrible way to end a story. I mean, have you ever come to the end of like a movie or a story or a book? Some of you watched like eight seasons of Lost only to find out that you wasted eight years, right? You're like, they were all dead the whole time. Are you kidding me? So, you know, it's one of those things, right? Okay, some of you watch that Interstellar movie. You're like, he was in the bookshelf? The bookshelf, really? I still don't get it. Horrible ending, right? But for the, for the Hebrew, this is the greatest ending, believe it or not. It, it, it is a, it's, it's like the Death Star blowing up. It's like they live happily ever after. It's a perfect ending ending because you see where it led. And the author, whoever he is, he actually structures this thing in the Hebrew so perfectly where the prologue has exactly 71 words. The epilogue has exactly 71 words. He's been building to this the whole time. He's been keeping this secret from them because he wants this to be like the, the great reveal at the end. And then the way he structures the genealogy in a Hebrew genealogy, the seventh person and the tenth person are the two biggest, most important people. Who's number seven? Boaz. Who's number 10? David. I mean, he has been building to this where he's saying, you thought it was broken, it ends with the king. It's a beautiful picture of what God has been doing, right? And, and it's even bigger than just King David because those of us who have been around the church a little bit and, and around the Bible a little bit, we know who comes from David, that someone will sit on the throne of David forever, that the root of Jesse will be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords forever. Who is that? Well, you gotta jump to Matthew who picks up the genealogy, Abraham, father Isaac, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob, Judah, Judah, all the way down to Ruth, right? To Ruth and Obed, the father of Jesse. Then you skip down another 10 verses Iliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And what you see is this has not just been four little chapters about a widow. 
that God puts in there. Like, isn't this a great story? He has been showing what he has been doing since Genesis 3, since the promise that there would be a redeemer. And we found out, we spent 15 weeks, that he was going to come through Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah, and then David. And then his name is going to be ultimately Jesus of Nazareth, who just so happened to be born in the house of bread where they are from. It is a beautiful picture of what God has been doing since day one. So it's not just a story about widows, although it's there. It is a story how God promises Genesis 3, a redeemer, how he will bring it to pass. And he has, right? And he uses chaos. I mean, he uses he uses rejects. What's really cool about Matthew 1's genealogy, there is four ladies in this genealogy, which is very rare for a genealogy. And they're all rejects. He's got Tamar. Tamar posed as a prostitute, had a kid with her father-in-law. That's a fun Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Rahab will go down in infamy as the Jericho girl who was a harlot. Ruth is an outsider from Moab who used to worship a god named Chemosh. And then you go to the next lady in the genealogy. Her name is Mary, who actually was innocent, but everyone accused her of immorality her whole life, and she was a reject. All these rejects, and what you see is that God typically takes those who are big-time outsiders, and he makes them at the middle of what he is doing, constantly. He takes rejects, he takes brokenness, he takes flawed people who are on the outside, and he puts them in the middle of what he is doing. And he is an expert at doing so. He specializes in brokenness and taking weakness and making it strength. He could bring in glory from brokenness of making foolishness wise. And that should be a huge encouragement to you, church, because you were a bunch of Gentiles worshiping a Jewish Messiah. You were outsiders and now you were insiders. You, you were on the out. You were opposed to God and he puts you in the middle. And if you're thinking, well, I'm broken, I'm flawed, that, that is the list of people that God works greatest in, is the broken, the flawed, the nobodies. The Ruth, the Tamars, the Rahabs, the Marys, even David, who when Samuel's looking for a king, he's like the least likely to be king because he's short, but God loves short people. <laughs> right? And so who is our Obed? The one whom this story is ultimately about. The, the hero of the story, Boaz is a great dude. Ruth is a great dude. Naomi's got some issues, but she's a sweet gal. But the hero of the book is none of them. The hero of the book is God who is orchestrating the whole thing from the beginning. What happens if there's never a famine? What happens if they never leave Bethlehem? What happens if Malon never dies? What happens if Ruth is just tired and says, I don't wanna go out in the field? What if she doesn't take the risk at the, at the threshing floor? What if Mr. So-and-so is like, yeah, I'll marry her. You, what you see is God has been doing this whole thing the whole time and he's gonna continue to do it till he brings Messiah. And guess what? He's gonna continue to do it in our lives until he returns the Messiah. And that is the point of the book. He, he, where is your Obed? Where do you look when you're facing the tension of grief and you're looking for hope? You look to our Obed, the greater Obed, Jesus of Nazareth, our Redeemer, who died and rose again. He is our ultimate hope. And he says, I will return and I will restore and I will redeem this which, which was broken in Genesis 3. That's the story of scripture. 
God fixing what we messed up and restoring and redeeming for his glory from Genesis to Revelation. And so as we close, just kind of two, two thoughts as we move to worship. I'm short today. I mean, I'm short and we're short, all right? But I, I wanna spend some time in worship. I wanna spend some time at the table. But here's just two thoughts. One for us, those who are here identify as Christian and the other for those who, who maybe don't. Just if, if you identify as a follower of Jesus, here, here's big challenge from this book for you is that we need to start seeing our lives, this little vapor, this little 80, 90 years, maybe, how short that is. You need to start seeing it in the big picture of what God is doing. You gotta step back. If you're only in the Ruth 2, you think it's tragedy. But when you step back, you see God's hand. You gotta start seeing your life that way. Because if your life is just about the American dream, about getting as much as you can, getting the scholarship, getting the house, getting the money, getting the boat, if that's all it is, what happens when they lose that? Right? What happens when I don't get the scholarship, when I don't get into the college I want, when I get fired from my job, when I find out stage three cancer, when I hear divorce, family, what happens then when the American dream falls apart? And you gotta be able to step back and see the big picture of what God is doing. That even in your grief and in your struggle and in your suffering, just like with Ruth and Naomi, God is doing something. That's the only way that you won't just go crazy, right? Step back and see that, that he is an expert of taking darkness and making light. And, and if what the Apostle Paul says is true, and we believe it to be true, that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's beyond comparison. So even famine in Bethlehem, even loss of my God as king, even loss of frail and sick, that God is doing something and, and preparing an eternal way. And that's the only way to, to have grief and hope at the same time. Otherwise, you're just gonna stay here. But you gotta see the big picture. And we know it to be true, ultimately because we have a savior who died and rose again. That, that, the hope is in the resurrection. If Jesus just dies, it's just a good guy that dies. But he comes back to life, then he is who he said he was. He is God in a, in a human body and, and he can be hoped in because he says, I will do exactly for you what happens to me. I will resurrect you. I will give you a future. I will make you a king and a queen of the universe, right? Because you are co-heirs with me. That's our future. But you gotta step back and see big picture what he's doing. And then, for those who are, are not Christians, and, and every Sunday we have a handful or more of folks that are not Christians. Maybe they know it, maybe you don't know it. And here, here's what this series really is for you. It's an invitation for you to trust in the ultimate redeemer. The one who entered into brokenness, who, who took your sin on himself, who died on a cross and who rose again and says now he wants to invite you into his story. He wants to give you a future and a story. He wants to transfer you from the kingdom of darkness and sin and death and into his own kingdom where there is a future, there is a hope. And some of you, you're still in that, I'm good, I've been good. Went to college, got a little crazy, but didn't do too much. I'm a good person. And you're trusting in your goodness. And your goodness, Scripture says, is, is filthy rags. 
Only Christ's goodness. That's why he has to come. If it was up to your goodness, then Jesus doesn't need to die. He doesn't need to come on a cross. And so you need to entrust in the ultimate redeemer. And if you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you. Right? We're not asking you to walk anything, fill out anything. Just we'll have a conversation and, and, and just any questions you may have about what it means to be a Christian, we'd love to sit down. So please just come grab us and we'd love to talk with you. Uh, we're gonna celebrate the table. The table points to our hope of grief and hope all in the same. And so if you're a Christian this morning, we invite you to participate, whether you're a member here or not. Uh, we're gonna spend some time of reflection and the men are going to pass out the elements. If you've put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, we invite you to worship with us. And so they'll hand it out. Uh, we're not gonna, I'm not gonna come back up and do anything. So you guys just after some time of reflection, remembering your Obed, Christ, remembering his broken body that was pierced. As you take that little piece of bread, it has no leaven in it. That's why it's so flat. Right? It, it represents the, the sinless body of Christ. It's got little holes in it. It represents that Christ was pierced. It's broken. It represents that, that he was crushed for our iniquities. So as you take that, think of that. And then as you take the cup, rejoice that this cup was given to you. It's a, it's a symbol of the forgiveness of your sins. That Jesus' blood was poured out so that yours does not. That he was the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world, and then he, he came back, that our Redeemer lives, that he lives. And so you take as you're ready. Let me pray and we'll worship. Father, I thank you for this precious story of what you were doing in, in the lives of just some nobodies. I pray um, that we would see that even Jesus, when he came, that people thought he was a nobody, a, a carpenter from Nazareth. Uh, nothing that, that looked to make him look like a Messiah, nothing that brought attention to himself, just a plain average man, yet God incarnate, uh, who lived the perfect life, who died a death for us. And so you constantly are using people like Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and David and a bunch of broken people to accomplish your will. I pray for our people. There's people that are struggling, that are they're where Naomi was. May they find hope in our ultimate Redeemer. He loved us. He gave himself for us. Um, just be honored as we worship, Lord Jesus. Uh, I pray that this series would just stay with us so we could constantly see your Hesed in our lives. In Jesus' name.